Several weeks ago, I was doing a series of teaching about how to overcome sin, and then we got sidetracked by my trip and Easter and whatever. But I wanted to come back to that because I wasn't done yet. And I've noticed something about life, which is sort of annoying, which is that, which is, <laughs> hallelujah, which is that there, there aren't any silver bullets. Have you noticed that? Now, I love it. I, I'm... It's one of my favorite things in the world to just lay hands on people and the fire of God touches them and, and things are immediately fixed. That's one of my favorite things to see happen. But I'm a pastor and what I realize is that as you do life with people, that people have complex problems that usually more, more is needed than just a one-time, one shot of the Holy Ghost and then everything's fixed, right? There aren't... There aren't magic wands really in the kingdom. I wish that there were. I wish I could just fix everybody's problems immediately. But most problems in life require a holistic approach. They require understanding lots of different principles and applying them consistently. We've talked about this before with our finances. One aspect of finances is to give, and giving's important. But if you, if you give and then you don't take care of the rest of your money and just buy a whole bunch of big screen TVs or whatever. You're, even though your giving is good, and you're still gonna, how many of you understand you're still going to have financial problems if you're still spending money on a bunch of stuff that you don't need? Well, similarly, I've talked about how to overcome sin, and I've given you two principles, but there are some more principles that you need to understand because you can be doing the first two principles and yet still struggle. Is that real? So Jesus died so that we could live victorious lives. And victory over sin means not only that we stay away from evil, but that we're actually able to pursue good and do the things God has called us to do. When we talk about overcoming sin, I'm, I'm certainly talking about overcoming wrong things that we do, but I'm also talking about overcoming various problems that we might have, like insecurity or, or anxiety or fear or whatever. God wants us to overcome those things. He doesn't want us to just hang on by the skin of our teeth until we get to heaven. How do we do that? We gave you two principles already. I'll review them really quickly. The first principle is that our sin nature is dead. Sin is no longer your identity. You are not a sinner anymore if you have accepted Jesus. I've talked about that extensively. You can go back on the website and, and get that. But you need to believe that if, you know, failure in any sort is no longer part of your nature. It's not who you are. So everybody say this with me. I am dead, I am dead. to sin. I am dead to failure. I am dead to fear. I am dead to insecurity. Everybody say amen to that. So now... But you're not just dead. When we water baptize people next week, I'm not going to hold everybody under the water. I'm going to pull people back up. <laughs> Many Christians struggle because they don't know they're dead. Other Christians struggle because they don't know they're alive. Yeah. You come back up. You come back up a new creation. And because of your new nature, you're a powerful person and you can make good decisions. We talked about that several weeks ago. I, let's all say this together. I am a powerful person. I, a powerful person. I, can, consistently I can consistently make good choices, make good choices. That, propel me that propel me to a positive future. To a positive future. 
Now that's true, all right? Now sometimes it can feel like it's not, and, and it's easy. There's lots of things in life that we can't control. Is that true? And sometimes things happen to us that are out of our control, and it's important we acknowledge that, and we're not, we're not blaming everything that's gone on in your life on you. All we're saying is that focusing on the stuff you can't control doesn't help you. Is that right? What it'll do is it'll rob you of your, of your feeling of power and it'll make you just sit there and let life happen to you. And you don't want that. You want to happen to life, praise God. So those are the first two principles. The third one is really simple, but it's one that we don't a lot of times particularly like, but we're going to talk about it because it's really powerful. If you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 5. And verse 16, James chapter 5, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let's read it again. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Go and find somebody in the Christian community that loves you, not a random person on the street, but a person in the Christian community that you are in relationship with, and go and make yourself vulnerable to them. Be open and honest about the struggles that you have in life, and this will set off a, a series of events that can lead to your healing. And healing here certainly can mean physical healing, but it's, it's really talking about being healed of whatever the sin is. If I have a problem, the Bible says the strategy, one of the strategies, now is this a silver bullet? No, but it's really powerful. Some of the most powerful people in the world are those that have learned to be vulnerable and open and honest and live authentically in community with other people and share what they're going through. And it says, if, you, if you'll do that, you can be healed of, of any kind of problem. Now, the, the struggle here is, is sometimes we can think, well, isn't that just agreeing with my problem? Well, we're, I'm not talking about just, just telling every random person all the stuff that's wrong in your life. I'm not talking about putting a, a giant thing on Facebook and, and you know all this, okay? What I'm saying is, is, is there's a place in Christian community where I humble myself in, in relationship with people that love me, and I, and I be honest about what I'm struggling with, and that leads me to breakthrough. Now, sometimes people will say, well, I don't know if I have that person. Well, that's one of the reasons we have prayer ministers at church. That's one of the reasons we have small groups. But I just encourage you, believe you're a powerful person that can be in healthy relationships and pursue them. Yes. And don't give up. And sometimes people, you'll try to do this and you might humble yourself and, and share and you don't get the right response. Yes. Is that true? Yes. But does that mean you get to back off the principle? Yes. No, it means you got to try again. Well, that's hard. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> the Christian life summons us to do challenging things so that we'll walk in freedom. 
It's better to be free than it is to, to be in bondage. And if this is the price of freedom, I want to pay it. In the context of healthy Christian community, we are open and authentic about who we are and what we struggle with. In doing so, we're not agreeing with our problems, but we are dragging them into the light so that they'll be healed by the power of God. Fear, anxiety, sin, these things all thrive in the darkness. They thrive in loneliness. They thrive in, in the belief that I'm the only person that, that deals with this problem. You know, often people will say to me, Pastor, if you knew what I'd done, you know, this is what people think. They think they're the worst sinner that ever lived. And if you knew, Pastor, what I'd done, you, you, I don't know what they think. I don't know what they think I'd do. But, but listen, your, your sin is not bigger than the blood of Jesus. Amen. You're not the worst sinner that ever lived. And even if you were, Jesus' blood is still bigger. And I can guarantee you, I've, I've heard whatever it is that you've done, all right? <laughs> I mean, I've heard some crazy stuff, so I used to pray for people five, six hours a day, so it's, anyway. Okay, I want to talk to you, so that's the principle. We, we could all go home, but, but I want to explain to you why the principle works, because I think if you understand why it works, you'll be more motivated to do it. So there are two reasons why confessing our faults and weaknesses to one another helps us overcome our problems. The first is that it gives you access to more grace. The second is it helps you overcome shame. So we'll start with the first one. How does confessing my faults to somebody else give me access to more grace? First of all, why do you need more grace? James 4, 6 says God gives more grace. So if he's given it, you probably need it. Then it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to people that will humble themselves. Going and telling somebody else about your problems is a radical act of humility. Is that right? Because you've got to, you've got to, realize, you've got to show people, hey, I don't have it all together. Now, church should be a natural place for this to happen. The trouble is legalism makes it unacceptable for anybody to have a problem. And church largely becomes a place where everybody pretends to be okay. And that's not good. That's not, that's not what the first, first century church looked like. It was meant to be a place of community where, again, we're not, we're not all... We're not all, you know, coming to your pity party or whatever, but we are going to love you and your problems. Everybody say amen to that, okay? So, so why, why do we need more grace? Because grace empowers us to overcome sin, and it will come to us when we're humble. 1 Peter 4.10 says that we're all stewards of the manifold grace of God. That means there's grace that other people have that I don't have. I've noticed the world's incredibly complex, and I understand about this much of it. I'm good about, at about one thing, which is explaining stuff to people. If it has to go beyond that, I need some help. When I'll humble myself, 
and go to somebody with some wisdom in an area and say, hey, I need some help here, it gives me access to the grace that's on their life. Just a simple example, let's pretend there's a guy named Sven. I always used this when I was an English teacher because I never had a student named Sven. So Sven is a made-up guy, and he struggles with back pain. And he always has this lower back pain, and he can't get rid of it. And so he's been trying to do stuff on his own and exercise and whatever, but it's not getting better. Well, he, he's got a couple options. He can just gut it out. Anybody ever gutted it out? You can gut it out for a while, but after a while, your guts might fall out. So you got to... That's not the best solution. So you can do that, or he could humble himself, and he could make an appointment with my wife. My wife's a physical therapist. And he could go to her, and he can say, look, I've struggled. I struggle with this back pain. That's simple, right? And, and what that does is it gives him access to the grace that is on my wife's life. Because she's really smart in this area of how to fix people's musculoskeletal system. And, and what she tells him is, look, you've got weak ab muscles. A lot of times if your back hurts, your core is not strong. And so she gives him some ab exercises, and then he walks out of the deal. Does that make sense? So that's why it works. So a lot of times if you have a marital problem, how many of you know if you have a marital problem, a good thing to do is to go and get marital counseling. Why don't people go get marital counseling? Because they don't want to admit they have a problem. If you don't do, and if you, if you do that, you aren't humbling yourself, and God opposes the proud. Now, what's that mean? Does it mean God's up there in heaven saying, well, you just continue to have a... No, he's, it's just saying he's set up a world wherein nobody has access to all the grace so that we need one another. That's the world he's set up. Now, you think, well, I don't like that. Well, <laughs> take it up with God. Nobody, no man's an island. We don't, we don't have access to all the grace. Thank God. Thank, yeah, thank God. <laughs> I barely understand what I'm supposed to do. All right, I mean, so, so I, I, I try to focus and stay in my lane, and if, if somebody has a question about something outside of my grace, I need to refer them to somebody else. Right? So I don't, I don't give people advice about their... I mean, I'll pray for you if you have back pain. A lot of times you get healed, but you can also go get some ab exercises. Hallelujah. So there's different ways to get over stuff. When I go to someone that has wisdom in an area and I confess my weakness, it opens the door for me to receive the grace I need to overcome. Over the summer, I was... I was uh, last summer, I was stressing out about some stuff in my life, and, and there was just some stressful stuff going on, and I've been more stressed out in my life, but God was dealing with me about this issue, about humbling myself, and I thought, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go talk to somebody. Now, I'm a counselor. I counsel lots of people. I know all the counseling tricks. I could counsel myself pretty good. I preach to myself. But I thought, you know what, I, need to, I ought to go talk to somebody. I'll humble myself. So I went and saw a counselor, and I had her pray for me. And she walked me through some stuff to help me process some things and, and think better. And I thought I'd tell you that because if the pastor can go to counseling, then how many of you know you can go to counseling? 
everybody, okay? Now, the, the pastor's not, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not falling off a cliff. I'm doing better than I ever have. How do you know? Because I went, because I was humble enough to go to the counseling. You know the pastor that quits? The one that doesn't go. I've noticed, I've been done a lot of marriage ministry, marriage retreats and stuff. You, you know, a lot of times the people that go to these marriage retreats, most of the people that go don't need to go. Right? Now, if you need to go, it's great, but it's not, it's not an indictment, right? It's, it's healthy. You're just working on it. Everybody say, I'm working on it. So we want to confess our faults one to another. Now, I know personally people have come to me and confessed faults, and, and I, I haven't always helped them the way that I, I you know, sometimes I've failed. And, and you might go to somebody and confess something, and, and they may not minister to you the way that you need ministry. But what do you do about that? Give up, right? No. <laughs> Thank you for the, the one no. So no. <laughs> You don't, you don't give up. You forgive the person, and then you try again. Some of you act like this is way too honest for Sunday morning. I don't know. It's going to get worse. So, so <laughs> Jesus, help us. All right. The, the trouble, okay, so that's one reason you do it, you, to get wisdom from somebody. But the other, the other thing is that when we're talking about overcoming sin, we're usually not just talking about something like back pain. We're, we're typically talking about something that makes us feel shame. And what shame does is it, it's this feeling that says, I'm not enough. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. I'm broken in a way that nobody else is. And shame causes you to hide yourself and not get the help you need. Therefore, shame perpetuates negative cycles of behavior. Most addictions are shame addictions. They've done research about this. So what's, what's it mean? I feel terrible about who I am, so I do some sort of addictive behavior. This addictive behavior takes my, my mind off the fact that I feel horrible about myself for a short period of time. But after whatever wears off, then the shame comes back because I just did the thing I'm ashamed of. So then what do I do? I do the thing again to take my mind off of it and it creates a shame cycle. This is why Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus because God wants to break the shame cycle. God's not shaming you. Why does the church shame people? Well, because, because they think God is shaming them. If you quit believing that stuff, then you'll, you, you'll help other people walk out of their problems. So shame is the enemy. It traps us in negative cycles of, of behavior. When we sin, we, shame tells us we're terrible people, and when we feel like terrible people, we figure we might as well sin, which causes more shame, etc. I already gave you the example, many Christians will never go to marriage counseling because they feel like they should already know how to fix the problem, or they worry they'll be judged. 
The trouble is that's pride and it severs you from access to more grace. Okay, now let's get super real about this. Men, men and women experience shame differently. Men are typically shamed for showing any sort of weakness or emotion other than anger. Society tends to implicitly tell men that you're not, you, don't, you don't feel anything. And, you know, when you have a, a little kid, like I've got three little kids, when they're, they're really little, they can't talk, right? So when they're lonely, what do they do? They, they cry, they throw a fit. When they're hungry, what do they do? They throw a fit. When they're scared, what do they do? They throw a fit. Okay, so they've got this one way of expressing themselves, which is to throw a fit. Anybody raised kids? Okay. Now, what, what do you want to do? Well, as they learn language skills, you, you want to help them learn to explain what they're feeling. Because if you can get them to explain it, they don't have to throw the fit. That's, that's really simple. But if you can, if you can figure out what's... If, if the kid can say, I feel hungry... That's better than, ah, I'm going to kill you, ah! <laughs> Is that better? Yeah. It's much better. I need to learn this sometimes. I was hungry the other day because we got back from swimming. I'm like, shake it, I need food because all I did was eat coffee. I'm like getting short with people. Ah! Leave me alone, I'm trying to make the kids food. Really, all I need to do is make myself food. What am I doing? I'm throwing a grown-up fit. What I need to do is say, I feel hungry. That's why I'm upset. Anybody ever been hangry? There's all those commercials about it. You're not you when you're hungry. I'm, I'm acquainted with, I don't, wouldn't say I'm friends, but I, I know a guy that's like the, one of the premier psych, uh, counselors in the whole country, and he's been on Oprah and, and um, Dr. Phil and <laughs> these kind of things, but he, he helps people uh, in a lot of different situations, but he helps people that are emotional anorexics. And men often, if, if, you, don't, if you don't know how to you know, feel anything and, and talk about what's going on inside you, everything just comes out as anger. Uh, and so you wonder, why am I angry all the time? Well, it might be that you haven't figured out what, you, you might not be angry, you might be lonely or scared or something else. And so what this guy does is he's got, he's got grown-up fit-throwing rooms <laughs> in his counseling practice. It's like a big padded room, and people go in there, and they pound on the walls, ah! Get the anger out, all right? <laughs> They're trying to... And you might say, that's crazy. Well, no, it's, it's, they're trying to learn how to, how to let stuff out. They're trying to learn how to communicate what's going on inside them. Because some people never learned growing up. And, and if you don't learn this, this, this is, I mean, not to be too topical, but this is why we have all these domestic abuse things that, that go on all the time. And so it's, it's people that are, are angry and they haven't learned to talk about what, what they're feeling. I think it's amazing, you know, that, that David 
David said about Jonathan that he loved him more than basically any of his wives. He said, your love for me is, is surpassing women. And so it's, it's tragic, I think, that for, there's a lot of men, it's like you, it, it would be really challenging for you to tell another guy that you loved him. You can tell your wife, tell your kids, but I think that's unhealthy. And so, anyway, the trouble is men, men do feel stuff. You feel lots of things. And if you don't figure out how to understand what you're feeling, it'll come out as anger. Refusing to confront and express painful emotion results in chronic infantilization. That's a fancy way of saying that you don't ever grow up. And sometimes violence. Okay, now, ladies, you have it easier. Not really. That was supposed to be a joke, but I didn't say it right. You got to get the timing right. I got ahead of my joke making. Comedy's all about timing. But anyway, uh, women, you're shamed for not being good at everything without trying. If you're a lady, you got you to be a great mom. You got to be a great employee. You, you got to do all this stuff and you got to look good while you're doing it. But you can't look like you're trying. Don't, don't sweat, right? That's a, just, just glisten. You got to be perfect. Uh, it has to look easy. These cultural pressures lead to comparisons and feelings of inadequacy. There's, there's a whole industry about this. I mean, I'd encourage you. You know, if you like Pinterest, it's okay, but I mean, people get on there and then they feel condemned that they can't make all this stuff or whatever. I mean, you know, just quit comparing yourself. So, so what's this mean? It, it's, you know, men struggle to show weakness and, and women do as well because there's these various cultural pressures that say you can't have any problems. The cultural pressures come at you differently, but they will keep you trapped in cycles of shame. Is that too real? How do you defeat this cycle of shame? Well, you do it by confessing your sin one to another. You do it, ladies, by saying to, to another lady, hey, you know what? I actually don't have it all together. I yelled at my kids yesterday and I felt bad. Men, you do it by, by, you know, go to another man and be like, look, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I feel lonely. I'm struggling with blank. And, and what happens is shame, it's, it's, this, it's this belief that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Why does confessing your sin fix it? Because if you, if you tell somebody else about your problem in the Christian community, and they love you and accept you instead of judging you, you realize, wow, maybe there's not something fundamentally wrong with me. The shame cycle is broken. Maybe I'm not alone. Hallelujah. And what happens is the thing that is in your heart that led you to the bad behavior begins to be healed. 
So I've got people in my life that I'm, I'm really authentic with. I confess my sin. I confess my faults to my wife. And I'm really open and honest with her. And there are other people. And I do that because I want to live free. Now, I didn't used to do that because I valued looking cool more than I valued being free. That's a really real statement. Here's the struggle, though, is, is it's not only that I've got to confess my sin, but as a Christian community, we need to band together and prepare ourselves to hear other people's problems. Because it doesn't do you any good for you to come tell me about your problems if I'm freaked out by them. That does the opposite of good. That reinforces the belief that you should be ashamed of who you are and that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. So I've got to work on me and become a safe place. So I'm going to do just a little bit of marriage counseling here for a second, but this helps everybody, all right? Ladies, how many of you would like your husband to be vulnerable and share his feelings with you? One person, okay. All right. How many of you would like that? Okay. You know you would. That's what you tell him all the time, right? Okay. Why don't men do that? It's because they believe a lie that if they're vulnerable with you, that it will lower your opinion of them. Do you know where they learned that lie? From women. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I'll do the other side right now, and then I'll come back. <laughs> I'll come back and explain, because some of you are like, God, that really hurt. Okay. <laughs> Do you know why women won't be vulnerable with their husbands? Because they believe the lie that if they are, their husband will just try to fix them. Do you know where they learned that? From their husbands. <laughs> Good word, Pastor. Boy, this is really helping my marriage. <laughs> Okay, here's, this, here's the struggle, okay, ladies? I'm going to be real, real with you. You, you, want, you. you believe that you want the man to be vulnerable. But, but when he shares with you what he really thinks and how he really feels, often it's ugly. And it's not what you want it to be. It's a lot more grotesque than you think it should be. And often you can't handle it, and you look at him with judgment. And what that does is it teaches him to share just a little bit of who he is. So you think he's being vulnerable, but not the whole thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So what do I do? What do I do? If you're, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to change this, I'm just trying to be real with you. I know it's hard. It, this is hard. This is all really hard stuff. Relationship stuff's hard. It takes the most courage. Yeah. 
It takes the most courage of anything. Okay? But if you want to be brave, ladies, you can go to your husband or go to a man in your life and you can say, have I done this to you? Do you, you can ask the question, do you feel safe to be vulnerable with me? Now, if you don't ask the question if you're not prepared for the answer, because the answer might be no. And if he says no, what he's doing is he's being vulnerable. And at that moment, you have a choice. You can reinforce the belief that you're not safe, or you can, you can control yourself, and you can think, and you can ask, okay, what do I need to do to make you feel safe? Okay, let's do the other side. Men, how many of you want to be a safe place for your wife? Okay. You can go to her and you can say, when you talk to me, do I try to fix you? <laughs> we'll see you later. And here's, I'll confess, I'll publicly confess my sin, okay? Here's, here's the other thing I do. Ladies, you know the pressure. The pressure is to do everything right and make it look easy, right? Some of you do it really good. Which leads us to believe that if you're sharing vulnerability with us, it can't be that serious. Because, well, look, you're doing awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've done this to my wife. I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean you're insecure? You're like, you're like a genius. You have a doctorate. You've got three beautiful kids. You're accomplishing all these things. You know, why would you have any insecurity? You're beautiful. So I don't take it serious. Well, that's terrible. I've had to repent. I'm working on it. Everybody say the pastor is working on it. So... So if you go to your spouse and you say, you say, honey, when I, when, do I try to fix you? Don't ask the question if you're not prepared for the answer. Buddy, nod at me. Okay? So, so if you hear, yes, you try to fix me, then just repent and realize what's, what's, the, what's the goal of all this. The goal is, is not to fix the other person. Who fixes other people? Jesus fixes other people. What I do is I be present with the person in their problem so that they don't feel alone. And from that place of, of somebody being there with me, suddenly I feel empowered to partner with Jesus to overcome my problem. That's all it is. If you want to do counseling well, you want to be a good counselor, you just need to learn to be present with people in their problem. You don't, you don't have to know all the answers. Most of the time, people know the answer. They just need the cycle of shame broken off of them. How do you do that? Well, just, just don't freak out when they tell you their problem. Poker face. The message we're trying to get people to hear is, I see you, and you're okay. I see you, and you're okay. 
The message, that message from a healthy culture drowns out negative voices. You know, when we teach things like this, I worry sometimes that people will get really upset about all the negative messaging coming from culture. And and we're like, I don't know what, I don't know. The the response really isn't, "Ah, I'm so mad about all these cultural pressures. It's to become so secure in your relationship with God and your relationship with, with a small number of people. Not everybody. Bill Johnson, I love this quote, if you don't live by the praises of men, you won't die by their criticism. If you don't live by the praises of men, you won't die by their criticism. I try to insulate myself from the praises of people. Why? Because because I can't can't afford to, to die by their criticism. I mean, I have people write me hate mail. People don't like me. I'm a nice person. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I, try, I try to be a nice person. And I, but, but there's a lot, of, I mean, there's people that don't like me. What am I supposed to do about that? Nothing. Who cares? The proper response is, no, it's, it's not, oh, you must like me. Why can't, why, society is so broken because people don't like me and don't recognize that I'm a great teacher and then I, you know, no. The proper response to all that is, oh, I didn't notice. I was too busy being loved by God and loved by my family. That's the, that's the right answer. I'm, t- I'm, too busy, I'm too busy being approved of by, by those closest to me to care what other people Hallelujah. That might have been more than you bargained for. I don't know. <laughs> that'll help you. If you have a problem, that'll help you overcome the problem. I promise. It's worked in my personal life. It's a real thing. Confess your faults one to another and you'll be healed. Let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here. You might want to put this into practice. So you can come down here and you can, you can tell prayer minister, hey, I've got a problem. Would you pray for me? And what you'll find is that they'll love you and that they, you know, they have problems too. We all have problems. And so you aren't the worst sinner that ever lived. In fact, if you're born again, you're a new creation. You aren't even a sinner anymore. But, but, and so these people know that, and they'll speak into your true identity. But if you want to come down and get prayer, we'd love to agree with you that whatever's broken inside will be healed. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for everybody. And then remember, there's a whole bunch of things out there to sign up for. <laughs> if you have any questions, the ladies out there will, will help you. Father, we just love you. We thank you for your radical goodness. We thank you that uh, it's safe to be vulnerable around you, that you already know all our problems anyway. And we just ask for your grace to bind us together, to knit us together, to show us that we can be vulnerable and real with one another. And from that place of honesty, we'll find the strength to overcome whatever it is that, that life has thrown at us. And so, Lord, let your spirit just minister to people this morning and affirm them, show them who they are in Christ, that there is no condemnation, there is no shame. We just thank you for that. We receive these things in Jesus' name.